0: If would like to follow along as I read the text for this evening, I turn to Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 5 through 7 of Matthew 6. And when you pray, you are not to be as the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners in order to be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Let's pray. Our Father, we do ask that you would meet us here this evening, that you would cause us to understand the scriptures and the importance of this passage for us as individuals and for the the body of Christ. And Father, we do pray that you would grant to us that grace that we might see, that we might be able to walk in these things and to live and move aright because we follow your word, and because we follow your precepts, but because most of all, Father, that we, we love you, and we desire to please you in all things. We ask that you would do these things. We ask that you would build up your church. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We see here in these, these words the duty of Christians here not, I don't believe, as a corporate setting, but as individuals, although corporately we are instructed to pray. There are some who take these words as an allegory. I'm not quite sure how they do that, Uh, perhaps following Origen, who loved allegories. But this is to be taken literally, that we are to find that secret place, And here, I think the important thing of the passage is that Christ, in teaching this, seeks to find what some people call the man at home. The man as he really is. Not the public man, not the one who would pray or teach or minister in public, but the man at home. The man when he is alone before God, as the God who sees all and knows all. And if you think about these things, the words here, the word hypocrite is used a lot in accusing Christians of being hypocrites, that we don't walk the walk as they say, and I think that label fits many Christians that in public we like that accord, we like to be seen as being good, but what are we really like when we're the man or the woman at home? And I think and from our study in Hosea just past, we saw that there is in many Christians a practical atheism, That we say that we believe something, but following through and actually doing that on a day-by-day basis when no one is looking is what describes us. And if you think about our day, going someplace in secret is harder to do, is it not? There are some who say that it used to be when people would read this that they would come in from outside come in from the clamor and the noise and all the activity outside into a place but now it's almost as if we have to do that in reverse because as you all know the electronic signal the media is everywhere i was amused i was looking at an article in a magazine the other night and there was a gathering of uh Former uh, military men had gathered for some kind of reunion, and they were all my age or older, about 20-something men, and about a third of the men, when the picture was taken, had their heads bowed, staring into their iPhones. That place of secrecy is not usually our closets anymore, is it? Where do we find that place to be alone? So, as you could probably gather by now, this eight weeks uh, between now and the end of July that we have Sunday evening services, I do want to talk about prayer. I want to explore some things. Uh, One of the first thoughts that I had when I began to, to think this through is, is there a theology of prayer? Is there a theology like we have works of the doctrine of the Trinity or the doctrine of justification? Is there a book on the theology of prayer? And I found one on the internet search that I did. The author section was blank. I have no idea who the man is. And the book itself was selling for one cent on Amazon. $4 for shipping one cent for the book. And that could mean nothing, but it could mean anything. I have no idea. But for myself, I want to, for my own study, come up with a theology of prayer. What does the scripture say? What is God's heart in prayer? And to me, that is the heart of the passage here, because God is seeking, as I said, to find, to discover within us all the man at home. But there are other questions that come up about prayer, do they not? Why don't more people pray? Why do we not spend a whole lot of time in prayer? What do we pray for? Are there any things that we pray against? And is it okay to pray for ourselves? If we were to take a survey of the prayers written to us of the Apostle Paul, we find really only one where he even mentions prayer for himself. And does prayer really change things? And if it does, what changes? Or maybe I should say, who changes? And what is the manner of our addressing God? Do we pray to God? Do we pray to Christ? Do we pray to the Holy Spirit? These are all things, I'm not sure in eight weeks we can answer them all, but there are things I began to have more questions than I had answers. And two things encouraged me in this study. Uh, One encouraged me, one discouraged me. One was that tonight when David read, he read from... Thessalonians, the first chapter, where Paul, and it was probably a very great encouragement to them, where he says, uh, we give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness and of hope. There is evidence there that, that Paul had his secret room, his secret place. Now he does say we, but Silvanus and Timothy, we know from other places in Scripture, they were men of prayer. They, they, we know other men who were with Paul and who were Paul's helpers were men of great prayer. And so it must have been a great encouragement that somebody was in their secret room. Somebody was in their secret place. The thing that discouraged me is that as I began to read through these things, I realized that no one would label me, the man at home, a man of prayer. And yet, there's the call. It's almost as if, if we were looking at the passage, Jesus says, but you, when you pray, he could have said, and you do pray, don't you? It is something that you take advantage of. It is something that you do like your necessary food. Do you not breathe? Do you not eat? Do you not pray? (laughs) These are things that ought to be an automatic reflex, and and not just because they're necessary, but because there is things to search for. It's as if we are seeking a treasure. When, When we seek Christ, when we seek him, we come to him knowing that he is the one who has all the fullness dwelling in him. It's as if there is that treasure that, and Thomas Brooks in his book on prayer says, it's as if that you left, you knew that there was a treasure buried somewhere and you had the map to it, and then you had no desire to go dig it up. And yet John Calvin says, prayer digs up those treasures which the gospel of our Lord discovers to the eyes of faith. See, it's by faith we come to this place. It's by faith. But you, when you pray, there is that expectation that we will be praying. And we know just by our own consciences that that is something that we ought to be doing. Do you not meet Christians from time to time when the subject of prayer and Bible study comes up? Is ah, I know I should pray more and that I really don't read my Bible as much as I should. See, our consciences are are already pricked that we ought to be doing these things. It's not an optional thing. It's something that is as natural as breathing, and as eating, that it ought to be for us. But what does he say here? Specifically, he is contrasting those in a public place who are, as the hypocrites, loving to stand where people can see them, where they can be looked at. But he says, you go into your inner room, a a secret closet, in contrast to that public place of verse 5. The word in the Greek designates a, a, a cupboard or a, a place where things were locked away, treasures were put, or things were stored and, and locked. I don't know why they call it a pie-safe, but I think that's what they mean. There's no pie-safe in my home. But there's a place where it is designated that that's where something... Is stored. That is where something is treasured away. And it becomes a place of refuge, a place of, of shelter. And our prayer closet becomes a place for us, ought to be a place of intimacy, a place where we go alone with God, where just the two of us together. And therefore, it can be something more than in a public setting or in public prayer in the church setting. Because there, we can pray in a way that we can't pray in public, unburdening ourselves. There ought to be a sense of yearning, a sense of enjoyment, a sense of friendship, because you see, he says, you go into your inner room and when you shut the door, when you close out all of those things that would bear in, and yeah, that is one of the challenges, isn't it? That all the things of your business, of your job, of your family, of what you're going to do with your children or your parents, or, and all of these things come in. And he says, shut the door so that you are shut in with God and other things are shut out. But you are to pray to your Father who is in secret, directed to God alone because God is calling you to be alone with Him. We saw that beautiful passage in Hosea chapter 2 where God says of the people of Israel, His chosen, Behold! Behold! I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak, and I love the words of the the translation of the New American Standard, the margin, and speak upon her heart. It is not us going to God, and if you read any Webster's Dictionary entry, the first entry is going to be something along the lines, prayer is petition, prayer is asking. And there are those who say, that, that's it. That, that's captured it. That's all you need to know. It's asking God for things. But here in this passage, what we see is praying to your Father in secret is a communion. It, it, there's two. There's a dialogue. There, there's, there's your praying and your speaking with him, but he has allured you There to be in that sense, secret place, that wilderness, where He can speak upon our hearts. And so it assumes that there is a relationship. It assumes that there will be a communion with God by faith. And so prayer here is directed, the instructions, of course, and you know the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, is directed to believers to those who are in Christ, those who know Him. And yet it assumes that relationship. It assumes that not seeing we believe in Him, not having that visual contact, He is still counted on to listen to our prayers and to be able to answer them. And so there is an attitude of coming to God that we need to understand. There's an attitude of coming as a child. He says, pray to your father. And we see that throughout Scripture uh, in the New Testament where Jesus teaches us to pray. Our father who art in heaven. That idea of God as father. Not, Not as the daddy, not as the just jump in the lap, but as respected heavenly father. And yet the child knows that that is where he can go for his needs and for his expectations. Why? Because it's based on who God is. And it's based on how God works. And so when we pray, there is that sense in which we are also understanding Scripture better. We are understanding what God is like better when we come into that closet to pray. And it sounds funny, at least to my ears, when he says at the end of verse 6, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. He will reward you for prayer. And and yet he says it is. There, There will be something that we will get out of that prayer, which is not necessarily the answer to what we prayed for, but something that is beyond, I think we could say this phrase, beyond all we could ask or think, because there we have met with God. We have met with God Almighty. Luther said this, God crowns private prayer with a discovery of those blessed weighty truths to his servants that are a sealed book to others things that he would divulge to us, that treasure that our private prayers would dig up, the secrets of his providence, secrets of his kingdom, secrets of his love, his favor, and his purposes for our lives. Thomas Brooks' book is titled The Secret Key of Heaven. He uses the phrase in there, prayer is the clavis paradisi, the key of paradise, the gateway to heaven, the the place where we would unlock those secrets that God would show to us. Not because of our praying, not because of our actions, no, because God desires to divulge those things. God desires to meet with us there. So not only does God crown private prayer with this discovery, Luther goes on to say, that private prayer crowns God with the glory and honor due to his name. See, God is honored and glorified when we meet with him. When, when, when we answer this call of Jesus to go into our closets and shut the door and pray to our Father in secret, God is glorified. God is honored that we come to him in, again, with our needs, yes, but also with expectations. that that he would grant things to us because he would put those desires, those needs, those things to request on our heart. Unfortunately, we see in this passage that not everyone has that attitude. We see that some are praying with meaningless repetitions, mumbo-jumbo, saying the things over and over again, falling into those Things which are superstition, which are make prayer a kind of a magic bead or a incantation. And Israel was like that. We read again in Hosea chapter ten, it says, Israel is a luxuriant vine. He produces fruit for himself. See Israel got it all backwards that their productivity, the answer to prayer, when God allowed their harvest and allowed their lives to be fruitful and to be abundant, they were looking at it as, this is for me. This is all for me, for myself. In Matthew 5, we see that these hypocrites, those who were praying in order to be seen by men, Jesus says of them, truly, truly I say to you, they already have their reward in full. And what is their reward compared to the secrets of heaven, to the treasures of him who fills the fullness of all in all? Well, they have a few men who applaud them. A few men for a day, perhaps a week, even feeling the the applause of men. And yet we know that those plaudits are from fickle people <laughs> who next week will not feel so praiseworthy toward you. And what a free- fleeting reward it is. And Jesus says they already have their reward. But you, the Father who sees in secret, will reward you. Do you see the contrast? <laughs> You see that which ought to draw our hearts to dig a little deeper, to search a little more. What would Jesus have us do? How do I do this thing? How do I go about it? And so we see that this is a Christian's duty to draw near to God in prayer. And again, my focus for this session of messages is on private prayer. And yet the Scripture's Show us the exhortations. Uh, just give two. One from Psalm 63, where David cries out, Trust him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. He had seen God as a refuge and a shelter in his secret room, or in some cases, his secret cave of prayer. Pour out your hearts before him. That is what he desires. And Scriptures we know, I believe it's Paul, says, draw near to God, or Peter, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And in Colossians 4, Paul exhorts us, devote yourselves to prayer. there, There is a strong word there. Give yourselves over to this prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. To Paul, there was something about prayer. Even as the first mention of Paul in the scriptures after he was converted, right? What did they say of him? They discovered him in a room and they say, behold, he is praying. From the very beginning of his Christian life, Paul led a life of secret prayer. Thomas Brooks calls prayer the midwife of duties. The midwife of Christian service bringing to us a, from a place of prayer that we will be prepared that as we come out if i could say it like that, that our hearts are inclined to other duties they're inclined to other ministries but it is in that secret room of prayer he says where those things are birthed where they come we see them come to fruition it, it, it inclines us in secret prayer to to see what our duties are and to see what we ought to to do in the public setting and it is a place also of preparation preparation for other prayers for other people for others in our family how I will lead them how I will guide them prayers for our church prayers for our nation prayers for our city That's where they're prepared is in that secret place. And yes, there is a sense in which one who does not pray to his father in secret really ought not to be praying in public. I don't think that I can see that here in what Jesus is saying, and yet we know that Jesus sees the hearts. He sees where those prayers come from in public. And I think we could say that if we are not in secret prayer, then we ought not pray in public because we have not met secretly with our Father to discern from Him what we ought to pray for the edification and the help of the body. John Calvin wrote, The principal exercise which the children of God have is to pray, for in this way they give a true proof of their faith. See, when we refuse to pray, then there is that question of, do you really have that relationship? Do you really know God? Are you in Christ? Because if he does have that treasure, if there is that place of discovery and of digging up those things that God would do in our lives, and we refuse as... (laughs) Brooks said, we refuse to go and dig and search Then we have refused our first duty as believers. But prayer is also an inclusive activity. And I say that to say this again. We sometimes fall into that of prayer which is strictly a Petitions, strictly asking God for things. And yet, the tenor of the passages in Scripture is that it is a communion. It is that dependence upon God and a reminder to us of that fact that we are totally dependent upon God for all that we are and have and do. In James chapter one verse five, he says, "If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God." But but he doesn't then go further into that prayer. But he says, "Let him ask of God who." See, he he he. he it's like he wants to reinforce to us, "Let him ask of God," that you would understand that you're coming to God that you're not just reciting a litany, you have not just unrolled your scroll of Christmas wish lists, that you're coming to God, as he says, who gives to all men generously and without reproach. And let him not come, as he says, double-mindedly, but expecting by faith that he will answer those things. His, His focus is on God I came across a quote, and I didn't find a, an attribution to confirm the one author who wrote it, uh, given to uh, Blaise Pascal, and so forgive me if this is not his quote, but this is what he said, why does God establish prayer? And he answers, to communicate to his creatures the dignity of causality. To communicate to us that there is a God of providence and of sovereignty in our lives. And that he alone knows what we need, knows what he will do, and how he will do it. And so our our prayers are, again, not just petition, but they are a mixture of things. That we ought to be praying a variety of of ways and, and attitudes. It is said that in Exodus chapter 30, in the explanation of the, what's called the golden altar, the altar of incense, is that the, the incense that was given there, we see from other passages, Malachi chapter 1, Revelation chapter 5, and chapter 8, the, the scriptures seem to indicate to us that that incense rising up to God is like the prayers of the saints. And that this golden altar was a type of Christ interceding in heaven before God. He is, as John says, he is our advocate with the Father. He is, I, and I, we studied German in, in college, my wife and I, and we looked at that passage in, in the German Bible. It's "Führsprechen," the one who speaks for. And so that altar is a type of Christ to typify that. Christ would be that intermediary, that one mediator between man and God. And so it was set in the temple before, the, uh, before that mercy seat to indicate that that's what Christ would be. But the incense is the prayers of the saints rising to God not only to be that which took away the stench of the, the flesh and all of the blood and things that were there a, a, as a covering over that sin, but also as an honor to God, something pleasing to him. And so again, it's that twofold thing, we, the things that we need most are to be forgiven for our sins and to be acceptable to God. And here it's depicted in the incense. But in the end of chapter 30 in Exodus, there, God very specifically, and I can't even pronounce the names of these ingredients, but there's five or six spices that God specifically says, these are the ones that you will mix together in equal parts and you will make a batch of incense A pound of it to be used every day. Half a pound in the morning when the incense was burned. And half a pound in the evening every day of the year. And very specifically telling us of those types and specific spices to be used. And he says, as perfume, as the work of a perfumer, salted and pure and holy see there there is that incense was a mixture and so to me it depicts us a, a mixture of our prayers not petitions only but we ought to be coming to God with humility with confession on our lips as well but also with adoration for our God glory and giving him the honor And we also ought to come, as we've already seen in Thessalonians, and we see again in Philippians 4, where he says, In everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. With equal parts. There ought to be a a blend of these things that we get from from Scripture, not of our own making, but of, of God specifying to us These are the things that honor me. These are the things that glorify me. Humiliation, along with supplication, and also adoration. Again, Thomas Brooks says, When God crowns us, He does but crown His own gifts in us. And when we give God the glory of all we do, We do but give him the glory that is due his name. For it is he and he alone that works all our works in us and for us. For when we go into our secret place, into our closet, into that place and close the door, then we meet with him and him alone. And as he that desires not only to cover our sin, and to hear our confession, but also to be honored and glorified when we pray to him. Let us pray. Our Father, I do ask that you would teach us to pray. Teach us those things which ought to be the attitude and the, the, the elements of our prayers, that we might not dishonor you, but we might honor you. Father, that we might come to you in a, by faith, that we might come to you not with many words and repetitions and complications, but God, that we might come to pour out our hearts, that we might come needy, but also expectant. We might come by faith, but also coming to you as those in the Scriptures who came to you and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And so, Father, we do rejoice that you have made a way, that this is even possible for us to do. But Father, we pray that you would make us, you would strengthen us, you would give us that ability to follow through and answer this call from our Lord Jesus Christ, that when we pray, we would come and meet with you in secret. We ask that you would use this for your glory and your honor, for building up us as individuals in Christ, but also for building up of the church for his glory. We ask in his name, amen. Would you please rise for the benediction from that book of Philippians, chapter 4, where Paul says, and my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen.